0: This is a conversation with Dee Parsonichi. Hi, Dee. Hi. So, uh, Dee, you're uh, part of the SE faculty in uh, Canada. So, other than that, what do you do?
1: Um, I'm a counselor in private practice here in Port Alberni, a little town on the pretty much west coast of Vancouver Island, Canada. Um, And in my practice, I do mostly early developmental trauma work and attachment attachment work. Um, We are lucky in this part of the world to live very closely with a number of First Nations communities. Um, And I get to do a lot of work with the people from those communities, as well as the non-First Nations um, people
0: in these communities. So, um, as you talk about First Nations, maybe for people who are not immediately familiar with that part of the woods, uh, think about uh, on the West Coast, Northwest, uh, these big totems and, uh, you know, (laughs) old cultures. But do you want to say a little bit more about um, the First Nations and their life in today's world, in today's Canada?
1: Um, Absolutely. Um Absolutely. People may or may not know that Canada has a rather horrific history um, with First Nations people, uh, part of that being residential school, and that's a lot of the work um, that I do in this community. Residential school um, was an attempt by the Canadian government um, in collaboration with a number of different churches to uh, the quote is and is take the Indian out of the child, and so um, the children were removed at ages five, six, seven, eight from their families, forcefully removed. The parents were told they would be arrested if they didn't um, allow the children to be taken to residential school. Um, the children were their language was immediately taken away. They were forced to speak English and beaten. Punished if they didn't, um, and they were separated from their families and their siblings. They were not allowed to talk to their family members in the in the schools. And uh, much like many other horrific stories about boarding schools and other kind of schools, the um, children were beaten and physically and sexually and emotionally abused to retrain them
0: mm uh,
1: so we have generations of um, First Nations people in Canada who that happened to and who their family was taken away their culture was taken away their language was taken away and all their their parenting skills um, they attempted to take away
0: yeah so so really I still have that sensation that chilling sensation about the phrase you used about take the Indian out of the child and what you're describing is um, um, really a very brutal treatment yeah it was
1: it's it's pretty pretty horrific um, and the communities are still together um, they still have communities who live and work and play and um are together and they're also struggling with a lot of the the after effects of that kind of treatment through generations. The multi This we're talking about the multi generational effects of trauma, and so yeah. we're the residential school survivors, the people who were in the school with those effects, but we're also seeing the children and grandchildren with um, trauma symptoms related to residential school and how the children were treated, and also how they learned to interact with other human beings, how to parent.
0: Okay, so the context is that um, this current generation of children is not submitted to the residential school treatment, but their parents and grandparents were. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so um, we're talking about the effect both on the family and through the grandparent and parent generation to the children or to an adult, you know, their own, uh, the effect of their own residential schooling and the effect of their parents' residential schooling on them. You and we're it. talking about the whole culture.
1: Yes. And, the, yeah, everyone, everyone in those communities is affected by this because every child in multiple generations was taken away from their family and abused. And they tried to kill all of the culture. Um, They're just... Many of the communities are busy working on language projects, trying to bring their language back. Um, And when some of the elders can't know their language but won't speak it because of the abuse that they received when they attempted to speak their language when they were children. Mm -hmm. So that abuse, you know, 50... 40, 30 years ago is still keeping them silent today.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and they're working on bringing the language back, which is again the healing of that trauma. So both things are true that the horrible symptoms and also the resiliency and the healing are all true in these, you know, here where I live.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's an, in, it's a, it's a good point that in a way you're, uh, this is happening at a moment where you see the whole spectrum of um, the trauma, uh, but also um, the resiliency, and it's the context in which you work.
1: Yes. And and that's, I think, part of what I love. I feel very lucky. We moved, my family moved here about 10 years ago, and I feel like I've been really lucky to be here in this community at that time. Mm-hmm. And I feel lucky to have SE because... Um, SE is a really good fit with the, the, with the trauma, but also with the traditional teachings from many of the communities out here.
0: Yeah. So maybe that would be, uh, would be great if you could give, um, us maybe some examples, I'm starting one example of, um, um, the kind of case the kind of situation that comes up, and um, and how you deal with it.
1: So I, I this might not be exactly what you're asking, but I'm going to say it because okay. I. Good.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the things when um, when I moved up here, um, the head of the First Nations Mental Health Department, um, she was a, a a community member up here, but she also knew had known about SE from one of her teachers. And she immediately got an SE training, in fact, a number of SE trainings going, because she knew, having seen it and having experienced it, that it was a good fit with the communities. Um, And so I was, again, lucky enough to be involved in some of the first, specifically First Nations-oriented SE trainings in Canada. I think Peter has done some work. Well, I know Peter has done some work with other First Nations communities, but up here, this was one of the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- I think one of the things that became the biggest learning or the biggest teaching that they, that we received was how culture was resourceful and and was the most significant resource. Mm-hmm. So. Our days, as well as filled with teaching, regular SE con- concepts, were filled with t- breaks, times for drumming, for singing, for prayer, for ceremony. Um, there were times where people were speaking in, in the neutronic language. And, you know, we got the gist of what was being said, but it didn't really matter. And so those pieces were crucial parts of, crucial resources to bring the capacity of the group bigger to be able to deal with the trauma that we had to deal with.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that feels very powerful that uh, um, one which is a very generic uh, comment on SE is you pay attention to resources, And specifically, uh, in this case, the community, the identity as a member of that community is a very, very important resource. And um, uh, so things like language or drumming and being part of the group are going to be crucial to the process.
1: And I think, for me, sometimes in my office... I can forget that or think that I can't have access to those huge resources and and what that has taught me is that even if I'm sitting one-on-one with someone whose culture is different and I may not know anything by beginning to have conversations about culture by beginning to ask questions about um, spirituality or culture and, and here spirituality and culture are very deeply entwined. Um, I can have access or we can have access to that same resourcefulness. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So so I think that that would be a very specific example of what I do is part of what I do with everyone, First Nations or non-First Nations, is ask questions about culture or spirituality.
0: Yeah.
1: That is such a deep-rooted, for many people, not for everyone, but for many people, a deep-rooted place of resource. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels very nice how you're pointing out that um, it doesn't, you know, obviously in a in a large group um, it's going to be a natural setting for fostering that sense of community, but that there is a way in which you can also do it one-on-one. Mm, yeah. So what happens, um, what kind of, uh, you know, what's it like in a session, if you take an example?
1: Mm. What's it like? Well, um, again, I I think one of the important pieces for me is this question of spirituality or um, culture. And I think about one young woman who I worked with, and and she was um, talking about some trauma that she'd experienced, and we were talking about some loss and we had some questions about death and I said what do you believe about death
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it's interesting because she's a First Nations young woman and she we she sort of talked about what her family teachings were and you know where all this this these cultural beliefs from and I said so what do you believe what's your belief and it was so interesting because she then told me well she really was fascinated with the Greeks (laughs) <laughs> and what the Greek gods had to say and, and it was so interesting to, okay, so then, then we, we had a conversation and we didn't know, neither of us knew that much about it. So we went and we, we, she did some looking online and I got some books out of the library and we started talking about, gee, what do they believe? And, and how does that fit with her own beliefs?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And her beliefs around the loss of people who were really significant to her and has been very traumatic for her has created you know symptoms of anxiety and distress and so you know give her a lot of challenges at school and so as we have these conversations she starts to feel more confident and um, yeah it was just it was very interesting to, to see where I never know where questions around spirituality or um, culture are going to take us because sometimes I might assume, It's going to be in one direction, and sometimes it's in completely the opposite direction. Yeah. But what I notice in her is the change in her nervous system, is the change in her state. And she begins to build more healthy coherence, as Peter would say, as we have conversations both about her culture, the traditional beliefs, and her own explorations into what spirituality means. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah.
1: And answer your question.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a very nice part of in a way uh, relating it to as an SE practitioner. We all want to bring people to a place where they're resourced, where they're in coherence and pay attention to that and work from there. And you have identified something that works very nicely with people who are First Nation people. So I'm curious about having that experience, a deep experience of working with them. What happens when you work with people who are not First Nation? Is there some um, something that you bring with you from that experience?
1: Well, I think what I've learned is that the importance of asking questions about culture and spirituality, um, and and I, I'm going to back up because because this is what I this is how I learned it. Um, I work I work with conversations, people, and and like with any any person, sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes I notice we're, we're working, we're working, and there's been three or four or five sessions where it seems like we're talking about the same issue, and it seems like we almost get somewhere, and then they go away and they come back, and we're back in the same place. And um, I'm really lucky here. I have a number of First Nations healers who I can call in, and I will often ask them to come into a session with the permission of the, the client who I'm working with. And they will do some kind of ceremony, ritual, they'll speak about culture, they'll talk in their language while I get to sit and listen, (laughs) Uh, not understand. And what happens is something changes, and we come back to do the same work that we've been struggling with for four or five weeks, and it's different. And... That to me, there's a little bit of magic there because, of course, I don't really understand exactly what these friends of mine are doing. But they're doing something. It's it's like you know when the doctor rearranges the legs and you know the bones in my joint. I don't know what they're doing. It seems like a little bit of magic if I break my leg, but it works. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's what they're doing. They're doing this other work that is a perfect companion to mine. And when they do that work, then our work changes. And I've taken from that that I need to have those same kind of conversations with non-First Nations people and say, okay, it seems like we're at this stuck place. One of the things I've learned is it's helpful sometimes in this place to look at spirituality and what your beliefs are. Is there a way you can get support with the questions you might have? And... Sometimes people will say, yep, I know who to talk to. I was just thinking I should go and see X person. I haven't talked to them in a long time or I haven't seen them. Or sometimes they'll say, yeah, that sounds great, but who the heck do I go to? I don't have any beliefs. And and then we start exploring those beliefs. But what I've noticed is that in those stuck places... Having those conversations about spirituality opens up something different that allows our work to move forward. And, I mean, I guess it's like sending someone, you know, you're stuck and you send someone to a really good body worker and they do the piece and then they come back and you're moving forward in your, in your psychotherapy work.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's the
1: mm-hmm. same thing. I just think culturally, and at least my experience was, Nobody told me that that was a place to attend to and what I've been taught in this community is it's important to attend to spirit and spiritual questions as much as it's important to spend to attend to psychological questions or physical questions
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as you do that um you know how do, how do you see the connection of doing this with SE?
1: Right. Right. So part of what I'm looking for is the change in the in the nervous system, the mm-hmm. change in physiology. Um because that's what I'm attending to and so sometimes it's when we have those conversations oh. I see um I see that move into more coherence. I see that move into more organization in the system. Sometimes, um, what I see is the, the spiritual work helps shift into more coherence, into more organization, or gives the person enough, a big enough container to feel confident. Now that I know I have Spiritual support. Now I feel confident to look at this issue that was terrifying before. I wasn't resourceful enough to to track this sensation. But when I once I've had um, this spiritual support, now I feel confident. There's a confidence in the spirit or in the body um, or in the psyche to do that next piece of work. Yeah. And so I think there's part of it's about coherence. Part of it's about that idea of being more resourceful or having a bigger container. Um, one of the pieces of work that Kathy Kane teaches in the touch training, um, she does an exercise around what she calls <clears throat> the matrix, and this is a, an exercise that I use a lot in my practice. And what she asks, what she teaches us to do, is to When we're sitting with someone and we need a bigger container to connect to people who we feel can support us. So to think about, for me, it's often one of my grandmothers Mm -hmm. who went through hell and back. And she had a trauma history of her own. And I often call on her when I'm sitting with someone to uh, make the herd bigger, to have a bigger group, a bigger containment.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that that is resourceful to me and to the person who I'm sitting with. I might also ask them to invite who they would have sitting with us today, whether they're still living and but not in the room, whether they're deceased, whether they're um, a spiritual person or a spiritual being, whoever that may be. It might be their pet. It might be the cat that gives them a lot of comfort that what that does is increase that sense of resourcefulness.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's also what ceremony does, certain ceremonies in neutralness culture, or my understanding of it. There are times when they're calling on the ancestors to make this bigger container to bring more resourcefulness to um, an individual. So we recognize that it isn't just me and you sitting here, it's our ancestors are also there. And that's a way bigger herd, and it's way less scary to do traumatic work when there's a bigger herd.
0: And as I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this, the sense that comes to me is a sense of encouragement for when we do resourcing in general to not hesitate to err on the side of staying longer and going larger because what you're describing is not just alluding to it, but, for instance, a ceremony is living in it, being in it, being really contained in the larger container, having that full experience as opposed to simply touching it from a distance.
1: Right, yes. And... I'll say I'll I'll agree with you, with the caution that, of course, the bigger the container, the bigger trauma we're going to access. Yes. So, if we're going to hold that big container, we better be have everything ready to do that big work. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're
1: not ready to do that work, don't 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 build that big container.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Container smaller. Yeah. yeah. But yes, yes, absolutely being explicit, spending time living. Yes, the more we live in that resourceful state, of course the more we're going to be able to do deeper, bigger trauma work because we we live there, we feel comfortable. And I think that also has been one of the gifts of meeting some of the people um, in the First Nations communities here is they do live in that way. And they've had to, to live through generations of trauma. Yeah. Uh, abuse and, um, violation and lack of attachment. They've had to live, um, deeply in their resources. So both is true. There's, there's, there's these horrible traumatic things ongoing and there's this deep, deep resourcefulness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that feels like a very beautiful place to conclude. I'm not sure whether we leave it at this, or you feel that uh, uh, you're inspired to say something else.
1: Oh, that's that's good. There's always more to say, and there's always less to say. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dee. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.